0: please open up to Matthew 6. And if you remember correctly why we're doing a prayer, six-week prayer series, is because Forward Bible Church is determined to center itself on your spiritual formation. Uh, We believe that your spiritual formation is the main goal of the church, and so your development as a disciple of Jesus is the most pertinent thing to us. And we believe that your formation comes through relationships, uh, outreach, education, like our Sunday school classes in the morning, and then uh, and then practices, practices. And to make sure we have a lot of clarity there, we, we believe that in order to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. And so he presented this beautiful lifestyle of, of Sabbath and prayer and fasting and, and scripture that we are excited to walk alongside you in your spiritual formation. So we're on prayer, this is our, our fall, uh, practice for six weeks. And we've seen beautiful fruit even just over the course of a week. I think uh, last week we had uh, two people come forward and said, you know, I can't remember the last time I prayed. I actually don't know if, I know if I've ever prayed for anybody besides myself. So people are stepping out and praying for others that maybe have never done it before, which is so sweet. We can't wait to see um, more fruit from this practice. Today's Matthew 6, and so uh, we're going to be continuing through the Lord's Prayer, and we're going to be preaching on four words. That's it. Hallowed be your name. You guys cool with that? All right, let's do it. My wife, some of you guys know uh, Claire, is an Aggie uh, and, she, and I went to the Texas Christian University. Uh, and while we were dating in college, Claire and I would uh, meet right in the middle at this really romantic public dump that some people call Waco. And um, <laughs> Just kidding, I'm joking, I'm sorry TJ, I'm sorry Lindsay and Lindsay. Um, Actually, uh, the Baylor campus holds a special place in my heart because it was there that Claire and I had our first couple dates. Uh, It was a home for our first couple dates and it was uh, really wonderful. Well, one of the times I took Claire on a date, I had an interesting encounter with her. Something that was really special and I was waiting to do till we had further gotten into our relationship was I was waiting to tell her that I love her, to drop the, the L word. And I hadn't done that yet in our relationship. Well, one night really uh, early in our relationship, we went to uh, the TCU game down in Waco and I walked her to her car and to say goodbye for a couple weeks. Uh, and when I said goodbye to Claire, I knew we weren't gonna see each other for a couple weeks, so this is when I really put the moves on, you know what I mean? Uh, I would, I because would, I knew she needed to remember me, like that was a thing. I wasn't ready for some super Christian Aggie boy to like jump in, you know, and swoop in. That's not gonna happen in my world, okay? So I had to give her some memorable things and so I'd sit there and be like, Baby girl, listen, um, if you were a burger at McDonald's, I'd call you McGorgeous, right? See, that's just implanting things in her head. She's thinking he's an absolute nut job, but uh, thanks. My mother-in-law said that's gross. I appreciate that. Uh, It worked. (laughs) Uh, And so... I would kind of lay it on thick, right? And We'd say goodbye, and I, you know, we turned, I turned from her, and uh, I said, "Bye, Claire." He said, "Bye." He said, "Okay, bye, Claire." And she said, "Bye, Grandma." I said, "Bye, I love you." And she was like, eyebrows up, come and say what? <laughs> and I said, "Whoa, uh, well, I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to say that." She's like, "Oh, you didn't mean to say that." Well, I, I mean, I meant to say it, just kind of waiting to say it. I, I, I wanted to make it special, but whatever. I, I love you, Claire. I'm, I'm in love with you. That's what I told her. When someone loves something or someone else, uh, it truly bubbles out of you organically, right? There's no amount of containing that I, that I could have done. I, I'm in love with her. I love her. And it just popped out. Right, and after my address to Claire, what prematurely popped out was how I spoke about her, how I felt about her. I might try to hide it, but my adoration for her is clear because it was displayed. What you truly love in your life, what you love in secret, what you adore, is the most defining thing about you. To quote the great... Uh, theologian Bruce Springsteen. Everybody has a hungry heart. Everybody. (laughs) Humans are fundamentally lovers. We are going to love. You are made for your your heart to be pulled in a direction, and that defines who you are. You are made to love. You're just going to praise something. Pull it out. You're going to praise or adore something with your life because that's how humans are made, but specifically, You and I are made to long after, to love something ultimate. Human beings are fundamentally lovers and we are meant to hunger for something ultimate. And so today we're going to park on this idea and ask you some hard questions. Of what is it that is, what exactly is taking the place of your first love? What organically bubbles out of you that you can't contain is what Jesus parks on today. It's not just for prayer. What Jesus is touching on in the first action of prayer, after the address, right? Our Father, now here's the first action. What He's addressing in your first action is not a topic just centered on prayer, but it's an evaluation of who you are. Who you are. Because you are what you love. You're not what you think, you're not what you believe. You are what you love. And Jesus peels back our souls, peels back to reveal what it is that's bubbling out of us. So it's not just a model for prayer, but it's peering into your subconscious desires, because we all have them, to reveal what your soul truly longs for, to see what's bubbling up out of you. Today we see in the scriptures that prayer's first step reveals your first love. So if you will, read with me Matthew 6. Uh, Turn it over there or or read this. We're going to read the whole Lord's Prayer to give you some context. Uh, Matthew 6, verse 8. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is God's word. Jesus shows us the model for prayer by showing us first to address the Father, saying, our Father, and we talked about last week, if you remember, that this is a baffling address. This, bl- this blows the minds of the disciples, thinking, how-, how can I address Creator as Father? That doesn't make any sense. If anything, they would want to flip that around and be like, H- hallowed be your name, creator, king, I guess your father, but Jesus, in Jesus' world, order matters. And he says, how our father, and that floors the, the disciples, that we might address God as father with intimacy, who's close and near and, and loving, right? And then he says, hallowed be thy name. The nearness of closer than the fo- of the father is then followed with hallowed. Okay, what's hallowed mean? And he old Saxon English people out there would know <laughs> not a lot of you I'm sure hallowed is to make ultimate to make sacred there's no really there's no other really word for it that's why translators kept this word hallowed in there which I think is very important hallowed meaning to make ultimate and sacred um, Father is a father's reminder of his intimacy hallowed is to remind him of his separateness his majesty his greatness As we lift our eyes to heaven, we're reminded that we're not connected just to the Father, but we're connected to the Creator, the ultimate being, the most holy person deserving of all of your affections. And the word hallow here puts everything into perspective before we start to get to our gimme lists of prayers. So we find ourselves in this position of posturing ourselves before anything else in prayer by saying, Our Father, In heaven, hallowed be your name. And the word hallow here should be a reflection or maybe a a little bit of a triage for you as to where your soul is putting its desires and affections. Where are you putting your adoration? What are you hallowing? What are you hallowing? St. Augustine said it so beautifully. He says, because you have made us for yourself, talking to God, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Because you're going to hallow something you are made to hallow. Can we turn the lights on? I want to be able to see the people's faces. There you go, sweet. Um, if you're sitting there, oh, that's just the sun coming through. That's what it is. Um, if, if, when you sit there and you think, okay, what am I hallowing? Thank you. What am I hallowing? You, you're in a posture of discovering who you really are. If I really wanted to get to know you, Hayden, if we wanna sit down and grab coffee, I really wanted to get to know you, I wanted to understand you and what makes you tick, why you are the way that you are, I'm not gonna sit there and say, hey, Hayden, what do you know? I wouldn't ask you that, because you know a million different things that don't tell me anything about you. I wouldn't even ask you, what do you believe, Hayden? I wouldn't say, what do you believe? Because you might believe a ton of different things that don't tell me anything about Hayden. No, what I'm going to ask you is, what do you want? What do you long for? What do you desire? What is at the very core of what you love? Because that's what defines who you are. You aren't just a brain on a stick, right? Your thoughts don't disclose who you are. What's pulling your affections and your life in a direction is who you are. And if that's what I, that's, those are the questions I'd ask you if I wanted to get to know you. What are your hungers, your cravings, your longings? What are your loves? Because that's the center of your identity. Your hungry heart is the center that drives you for all things. And what you love in secret, who you adore or what you adore in secret is the most defining thing about you. But some of you might be in this room saying, well, I don't know what I want. I actually don't know what I, I love. I don't know what is, what is that thing that's pulling me. And my question to you is, what if the desires that you're most conscious of, that you're aware of, aren't what you most deeply long for? What if there's a dissonance in there in your life? There's a separation. What if what you, you aren't conscious, your subconscious desires are humming underneath the surface and your life is yearning to hallow something that you're, even, you're not even aware of. My first thought would be, would, would you be surprised as to what would bubble up out of you organically? What would you say that you love, that you desire most? And then the second question would be, do you know what it is that we should desire? This comes about all the time, right? Think about when you pray, when you only need something. Right? Anybody, anybody fall to that? Okay, nobody wants to confess? I do. Like, it's, it's such a temptation. Only want to pray when there's something that I want. There's a type of prayer that happens when your ultimate concern is at stake. Look at the context of the text. He says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to stand and pray in synagogues and street corners that they may be seen by others. Their ultimate concern is at stake. They are the center of their prayers. Their ultimate treasure is to be seen. The way that you could tell true prayer, apart from hypocritical prayer, is there's prayer that actually wants to enjoy God at the beginning. That wants to hallow him and put him in that seat of adoration. But notice how we pray only when we're in trouble. That, that's a, a clue, a, a key, if you will, when things go bad and you go into your, in your life, things are, are hard and things get tough and the world starts to crumble, you go back to praying, you go back to devotional time, and then when it gets better, we stop. Why? Because your heart longs to put you at the center of prayer and your circumstances. And there's only one name that belongs in that first seat. In secret, what we do there is we're actually adoring something else. We're hallowing our circumstance or the thing that you want more than you're hallowing Him. And here is the reason Jesus pulls this prayer model out. Because it's with adoration that we approach Him first, and that shuffles everything in order. So the question is do, do you only pray when you're in trouble? When things go bad? Do you get back into those devotion times? What are you doing in secret? William Temple said it beautifully. He said, "Your religion is what you do with your solitude." Let me make this really practical for you, because some of you guys can see. It, you're like, "I'm not sure I understand." Something I've been um, uh, working on in my own practice with God is uh, solitude. So every Monday, I try to spend like an hour of solitude with God, and I sit there. And I've been doing this. I do it very imperfectly, so I don't think I'm you know got this down. Um, but I sit there and I put my hands up, and I sit down, and I say, here I am, God. And I just listen in silence. I just, just wait, right? And let me tell you what happens. Things start to bubble up. Oh, shoot, I got to get that thing for the kids tomorrow. We got to pick that up because they have a carnival, and I got to do that thing. Okay. And then I'm like, oh, shoot. Okay, back to here I am, God. And then something else bubbles up oh man, I probably should Wikipedia later how the Astros can cheat and still get in the playoffs and I, then I gotta, yeah. I get it. okay, oh no, 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 back to, right? I find myself, bub- sorry Bradley, if I find myself b- bubbling up, but things start to bubble up, that's what I hallow. You really wanna know what's taken first seat in your life? I, cha- I challenge you. You take this challenge, I'd be so impressed. You're not trying to impress me. You, should, you know, it's all about him. You sit down for 20 minutes, you throw your phone as far away from you as you possibly can, and wait in silence. Whatever bubbles up is what the enemy is trying to get you to hallow that's not him. That's what's ultimate and sacred to you, what's what's being set apart in your life. You wanna get real church made personal? The thing that I hallow most, that bubbles up most in my time is you is this church right is your experience your connection the the the, the ch- how we're building disciples all the stuff is you and i'm here to confess to you publicly you're not my god he's my god and he is way above you when it comes to my desires and affections and adoration although you might try to keep creep in there he takes first chair so my challenge to you is to make note and i think that's in the text here when he starts there, the primacy of hallowed be your name in this prayer is a challenge to you to say, what are you hallowing? What is it? Is it the performance of your child? Is that what's hallowing in your mind? Is it, is it that 401k number that you're gotta, you gotta get to and then everything's gonna be fine? Is it the stresses and, and worries at work? Is it your job? that's taking the hallowed place, the ultimate holy place in your life, come come back. Take a breath and say it again. Here I am, God. And put him in the rightful place. Everybody hallows something. Your heart, your mind, your body is, is crafted in such a unique way to where you are you are going to hallow and praise something. You are going to be pulled in that direction, whether it's comfort, a relationship, the relationship you don't have, uh, your sex appeal, your financial stability, I don't know what it is, but you, something is going to try to take the apple of your eye and look, it's even harder when those things are good things. Like I love my kids, I love them, but they're not number one. I don't hallow my children although they try to creep in there. So make note, take the challenge, sit down for 20 minutes and see what it, you're in love with because I, I'm, I'm gonna be honest with you, I love you. You're in love with something else. There is something deep in you that desires to love something else that's not him, to put him in first chair. So what's bubbling up out of you that's, that's not him? But it's not just for the sake of, hey, let's just shame you guys. Welcome to Fort Bible Church. Make note of what you don't treat as God and walk out of here with your heads held low. No, that, that's not the, the goal here. The, the goal is to hallow him so that he might, to, to make note of those things you hallow, so that he might be hallowed. See, be there, that word be, so that he might be, be hallowed. Hallowed be. Everybody say Be. Great. It's interesting in this text, you have two imperative verbs back to back. So you have hallowed be, but that's just the English language kind of uh, sifting through things. Hallowed be is really one word together in the Greek, and so uh, to be hallowed is, is that verb. It's not an adjective. Uh, it's a verb, and you can see that it's impossible for it to not be a verb. Hallowed be is, is the word. And uh, this verb comes before all other verbs, like we said in the scriptures, in this text here. Hallowed be, meaning that there is an order to these things. Ha- hallowed be, but hallowed be before what? If you look at the, the prayer, take a look down at uh, the text. You're, you're adoring him before you move to prayer of uh, petition, which is you asking for your needs. You, you have needs and you want to ask them. ask God for your daily bread. Um, It also comes before a prayer of of confession, like, forgive me of my sins, right? So you find yourselves adoring him before you petition to him or you confess to him. And and that order matters because um, all other prayer is hanging off the adoration of the Father. As you approach him, your adoration of him is what clicks everything else into place I don't need to stand up here and tell you and remind you that most of your prayer is you just asking God for things. I'm not here to shame you. Um, Don't let the shame monster creep in there. I can see it in some of your eyes. You're like, oh, I shouldn't just ask God. He's not a magical genie. That's that's true. Don't let the shame monster win there. Let's baby step this thing together, right? The real convicting element here is it's not that it's praise first mechanically. It's that it's praise organically. Right? So you could get out of this sermon and say, okay, I got my notes. I'm, I'm going to make sure I say Father, and then I'm make sure I say Hallowed Be. That's what he said. Oh, that's the same word. Okay, Hallowed Be, Hallowed Be. And then I'm going to – you could get into this and say – this is like I'm just teaching you how to mechanically pray. And this is – stop. This is about your heart, remember? What, what's bubbling up out of you or your adoration for a person who is the, the king of the universe? Right? This is a bubbling up, a posture, if you will, not a mechanics Uh, Keller said, praise is the frame and the context for all other requests. Because the reality is, um, whatever you hallow is the thing that's going to ultimately take over your life. Right? And that's why he says start there. Because he knows that whatever's being hallowed in here in you is what's going to take over. Let me give you a, let me put it to you this way. Make it a little more clear every problem in your life is an adoration problem. And that, you might think that's kind of curt, but listen, every, every problem in your life is an adoration problem. I had, uh, I sat with a young girl at a a church coffee shop once, and I sat across the table from her, and um, she had confessed uh, at a a worship thing, she kind of confessed uh, to me that she had uh, a, a terrible eating disorder. It was just uh, it was brutally taking over her life. And and this mindset, she felt so guilty. She felt bad and dirty, and she was struggling, uh, forgiving herself. And so we got to the point in the conversation where she shared uh, some of her upbringing. And I asked her, like, what do you, you know, tell me about your home and your parents and stuff? And she said, well, you know, my mom always had the parties at house, right? Like, we, we wanted to be the Fort Worth Family and we had the parties and we did the things and um, before all these parties, she would really, as a little kid, she would doll me up and make sure I looked the part for the party that she was putting on. Uh, and uh, from there, I just started to see that my image was everything. That my image was ultimate. And um, so we started to dive through. What is the root of the issue? And I'm, I'm going to ask you, what do you think the root of the issue is? I mean, sure. Um, she kind of confessed later that what happened later was that uh, her mom uh, had a party. And before the party, she said, hey, like, you don't really look the part today. Like, we're not going to do messy buns at my party. And so you need, to, you need to stay in your room. And she made her daughter stay in the room during the party. And we could look at that. And let's evaluate it together and say, okay, was there poor parenting there? Yes, definitely. Um, does she have a poor um, uh, self-image? Yes, she struggles with seeing herself the way God sees her, um, but really the problem, if we're going to get to the root of it, the the, the problem that she was struggling with is prior. It's before all that, and that is that she needs to demote her mother's voice. What's hallowed and this young woman's life is the voice of her mother speaking to her rather than the voice of her heavenly father giving her the true image that, she, that he sees in her. And she's stuck in this rut of I can't forgive myself and we really struggled through it and I said, look, I, I, there's a voice in your head that is your mother's that you need to demote in order to promote his and see yourself through how he sees you. Often what happens uh, when you recover the true identity of God is that you also recover his view of you, right? I'm going to say it one more time. Often what happens when you recover the true identity of God, you also recover his view of, of you. Adoration there will hear, heal your view of yourself and your view of your God because you'll never, ever mind the depths of how precious you are to Him. You'll never mind the depths of that. And so, for you, what needs demotion in your life? What n- needs to be demoted in terms of voice? What is being so loud in your li- in your life that it's causing you to move towards unforgiveness or of yourself or or that that shame monster taking over? What needs to demote in your life? Is it is it? the perfect Chip and Joanna Gaines marriage? Is it a parent's voice from when you were a child? What is it? What is taking that voice over and what do you need to demote? Maybe it's a goal, I'm not sure. Maybe it's a lifestyle or a performance that you're seeking after. But we've gotta get that thing out of the hallowed place in your life because everything else clicks into place when we adore and hallow him first and foremost. So if you would, make note and then demote, demote that thing. But it's not just because you're gonna be um, a, a good prayer if you do that. It's, it's because your heart's going to be restless and you will fret for 90 years of, of your existence here and li- life until we set in place what your heart is desiring most and that is the name of God. Why do all this hallowing business? What's all this hallowing business for? Is it just so God can get all the attention that He wants? So He can make a name for Himself? He's just like a selfish deity? Actually, no. The word hallowing in this hallowing business isn't for God's benefit, it's for my own benefit and for you. Because, because his name, under his name, everything can rest. Rest assured, everything will be in right order. Under his name, all desire is fulfilled. You realize that God wants for you pleasures forevermore, right? Anybody else? You, you believe, you, you know that God wants for you pleasures forevermore. Forevermore. You think he just made you? and said, hey, I'm going to put in these people, I'm going to fasten them together to where they want something so badly for the rest of their life. They're just going to pine for all the trinkets that are in this world that I made. And they're going to live in that vicious cycle over and over and over again. You think that's what he wants for you? No. He wants you to enjoy and experience pleasures forevermore. He wants your, fast, your heart fastened to him to experience pleasure and joy. But we settle, don't we? Right? Right? Anybody else want to confess? We settle. We settle. We arrive to the conclusion in our minds that our financial security is where I will receive pleasures forevermore. That, That that relationship will be where I find pleasures forevermore. The perfect husband is where I'm going to find pleasures forevermore. Don't you see? He died for you so that, you, that he could make known to you the path of life that in his presence there would be fullness of joy and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's what's called a promise. And it's for you. He didn't make you so that you could feel shorthanded by this cosmic deity for the rest of your life and live the rest of your life with unfulfilled desires. He made you so that you could be completely fulfilled in him and experience pleasures forevermore. This is God's great posture towards you, but what did it cost him? What did it cost him? Because it had to cost him something. That's too precious of a gift for, for me to have a life now and forevermore fulfilled in him. What did it cost him? His son, who revealed to you the name above all names, him. He revealed to you. He manifested, is what it says in John 17. He showed you the name of God, and it cost a, a deep price. So when you can adore that, when you can see him for his actions towards you and his loving kindness for you and his desires for your life to experience pleasures forevermore with him at the first seat, then you'll see that everything clicks into place. As I've explored this, I started, you know, realize like why why do I have this cynical nature towards him? Why do I have this thing where I like I know he wants all this goodness for me, but he hasn't given me everything I want, and so I feel still shorthanded from him. I have a son named Cam, we Cam. And uh, he I took him to this park right back here, the Tangwood Park. And uh, we were playing, the sun was out, it was gorgeous and so fun. And at the beginning of it, he saw a kid with a lollipop. And he, the entire time, the entire time at the park was like, lollipop. But hear him, it's like, ollipop, right? Ollipop, ollipop, screaming, stomping his feet. I want the ollipop. I said, son, we're not having an ollipop right now. You can have an ollipop when you get home. But uh, he's like, I want it now, now. I want this ollipop now. And because I didn't give him one thing, there's something inside his human nature that says, I'm, I don't want to give him anything. Because I didn't give you this one thing, you, I don't want, he doesn't want to give me anything. He's not that good. Does that sound familiar? For me, this is the same sin nature. God, you didn't give me this, so you must not be all the way good for me. You, you didn't achieve this in my life, and so... Man, the fullness of pleasures forevermore must not be true because you shorthanded me there. It's the same lie that the enemy's been given to you since day one, right? God put you, whether you believe it's true or not, we can talk about it later if you want. God put two humans in a garden, gave them this amazing garden, said enjoy everything. Also, I'm there, which is where you're going to receive pleasures forevermore true joy. And he says, but look, not that one. Just don't, don't eat that one. What'd the serpent say? He said, he doesn't want you to have that. And that's the best one. That tree over there, that's the best one. And what seeped into the human's minds, your and I's minds as well, he must not be good then. Because he won't give me everything, everything that I wanted, he must not be good for anything. Right? Anybody? No one. Yes? Okay. Is this landing? Okay, great. Just like Cam, in typical child fashion, when there's one thing that doesn't happen, he must not be good all the way. And that's been happening since the beginning of the world. What Jesus came to deliver was the name of God, who said, I want to give you a fountain of water that never runs dry you're thirsting for something your soul is reaching for something and i want to give you a fountain of living water that never runs dry and what happens in our human nature i love you is we taste it and say nah no thanks i'm gonna dig over here and i'm gonna dig and dig and dig and i'm gonna suck on this earth until i can find what's going to give me pleasure forevermore no thanks it's the definition of evil it's the root of all hurt and anguish is a failure to adore the one who offers a fountain of living water. John 17, 6, I, Jesus says, I have revealed your name to the ones you gave me from this world. They were always yours. He's saying, I have, I have shown you the name, right? Your name, hallowed be your name. I've shown you the name. And now Jesus sits, Acts 2, now he's exalted at, to the place of highest honor in heaven, at God's right hand. And the Father, as he promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us, just as you see and hear me today. The living Father sent Jesus. So that whoever feeds on him, whoever receives him, would click into place adoration where pleasures are forevermore. You know what I love about our partners? Our partners. We had a lot of fighters at our partner, in our partner class. You guys any, you know, you know what I'm talking about? There's a lot of people who are like, yes, kingdom come. Let's do it, right? And uh, what I think is brilliant is that before his kingdom comes, there's adoration on your part. Meaning if you wanna be defiant, you wanna watch darkness be pushed back, then experience defiant adoration in prayer. That's where it's gonna start. That's where it's going to start. And this is, you know, I'm not saying here like, oh, I've got this secret to a life of complete contentment and, and pleasures forevermore, which he does. But that's where real power comes from. Otherwise, in your life, you're going to be fretting constantly. Because you're going to be basing your life on the external circumstances of your situation rather than the adoration of the one who's above all those circumstances. Look at Acts um, 16. Silas, right? He's in prison and he's beaten. And what do they do? They sing. Are you a lunatic? What's going on? They sing in the face of just abject evil. And God just explodes their life with joy and people get baptized and it's crazy. Your externals are going to try to get into this place but that's a a life based on present sufferings not on future hope and a hope maker. He is a maker of hope. Okay, so you can listen to this and you can say, all right, I'm going to go home. I'm going to pray. And look, I'm telling you, this is a heart issue. You're made to enjoy something way more ultimate than anything that's here. And so my only prayer for you, my only ask of you is you to evaluate a relationship with a person. Try this on for size. When's the closest you felt to God? Right now, as you're sitting there, I can see you, I can tell you, I can see what you're thinking, right? Right now, think. When's the closest you felt to God? Was it in college, at that retreat, or was it—I don't know—your wedding day? Um, pick it. What? What? When was the moment you felt closest to God in the past? Some of you are in this room, and that was a while ago. And you could see God coming to you like a, like a relationship. You as His bride. And you could say the words that you know every relationship just hurts to hear, and that is, well, you just don't look at me the way you used to look at me. This thing that we got here isn't as, as thriving as it used to be. And look, that's heavy, right? Feel that. That's hard. But he wants more of you. It's not like he's closing the door. God re- recollects, this is Spurgeon, God recollects those zealous times those happy seasons, those enthusiastic hours in your faith. And if we've come to ebb, if we're cold to him and almost dead, and you've forgotten the better days of your relationship to him, he has not forgotten them. He's not forgotten them. And he wants that intimacy so that what bubbles out of you is a love for him, a hallowing of him. Look, I know it's relatively easy to connect with God in moments of joy in our lives when things are going well. The challenge here is to believe that it's also true when things are going poorly that his presence in the midst of your doubt Your depression, your anxiety, conflict, death, or failure is a most powerful name who is to be hallowed. When I started praying adoration beginning, by the time I got to the my gimme list, there was an overwhelming peace that wasn't based on the circumstances of my life but I knew the one in control and I set him as first chair and it all clicked into place. So for you, ask yourself, what's bubbling out of you? Is it a love for him? And if it's not, it's okay. Let's baby step that direction and watch as we hallow his name together. Let me pray for you guys. Lord, it's a privilege to call you Father. It's a privilege to speak to you And what your son did on that cross to gain us access, to allow us to hallow you, to exalt you, is a beautiful, beautiful sacrifice. Would we give you the attention and put you as the first chair in our life and watch as we experience the power of God, the power of you, allows us to walk in this life with you as first chair and with a confidence that whatever death, destruction, depression failure comes my way I have a rock, a firm foundation who won't fail me would we be a people a church who just doesn't build a church for the sake of building a church Would we be a people who desire the vastness of who you are? It comes to mind. Like if you want to build a a ship, don't get a bunch of people together and just teach them the tools how to build the ship. Give them a view of the vastness of the sea. Today, now, even in this next song, and communion as we worship together, would we hallow you? Would we set you apart as ultimate in our life and we confess, God, that there hasn't been much hallowing lately? Help us to see what we can't see. Help us to love you so deeply Give us a true assessment of our love, Lord. And show us the immensity of your greatness. In Jesus' name, amen.